Some of you might be wondering what on earth, if we're talking Old Testament and we're looking forward in Advent, what are we doing reading Revelation? Good question. The reason why we read about the church in Laodicea is because it teaches us a very practical lesson for the church today. The church today gets itself into a place where it's comfortable. We do that. And I speak for myself as well. We're comfortable in a good place. We know there should be more, but there isn't. And the church in Laodicea was in a place where they were neither hot nor cold. If they had just been cold and they had just sat there and done nothing in a way, that would have been better. If they'd been hot, they'd have been out there spreading the good news. But they weren't. They were just we're saying to each other, we're rich, we're, we're comfortable. We've got a nice comfy church and here we are. I'm going to come back to them a little bit later. But I just needed to tell you, in case you were wondering, why we were using the church or reading about the church in Laodicea. But today I'm going to tell you a story about a group of people who might or might not have known each other. I think a couple of them knew each other. And we're going to go back in time. We're going to go way back about seven, uh, yeah, about 700 years BC, before Jesus arrived. Now by way of introduction, you need to know, and those of you who've read through the Old Testament will have realized this, that Following David, the first king of Israel, I'm not counting Saul really because there was all sorts of problems there, but David, King David, from David through to the exile, there were 22 kings in, now let's get this right, in Judah. Just a quick geography lesson. Israel is on the north, Judah's in the south, okay? And we're talking about Jerusalem in Judah, Israel based in Samaria, and that's a whole other story. But we're going to look at Judah today. So there were 22 kings in Judah following David. Of those 22, six, were, we are told, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Six out of 22. Five of them did what was sort of good in the eyes of the Lord. They followed the Lord, but they let everybody else go on and do their own thing. And 12 of the 22, in other words, just over half of them, are described in the scriptures as they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Over 50% of the kings of Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the one who topped them off, the worst one of all, came to the throne in 687 BC. His name was Manasseh. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. Not only did he allow people to rebuild the shrines and the high places, not only did he reestablish all of the practices to foreign gods, 
Not only did he allow incense to be burnt to the gods, he allowed temple prostitution, he allowed rampant crime, corruption, everything else in the name of belief systems to happen. He was really bad. He really did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Manasseh had a whole slew of children, but his oldest son, Ammon, was the one who was down to follow him, to succeed him. Towards the end of his life, Manasseh realized what a really bad king he'd been. And he started to change. And in a way, he became one of those kings who was not quite so bad. He never actually made it into the good, but he sort of upped his, his, his uh, stakes with God a little bit. His son Ammon took over the throne when Manasseh died. And at that stage, there was a little boy called Josiah, who was six years old. He was Ammon's son. Now, Josiah, because he was six years old, had known his grandfather. He, I don't think he had any idea what his grandfather was about, but he knew his grandfather was king. He knew his dad was king. And Ammon, when Ammon became the king, he followed in the way of his father. But something happened in Judah that isn't really described in the scriptures. There was somehow a change... There was a change, a climate change, if you like. And the people, after two years under Ammon, said, if you're going to be the same as your dad, we don't want you. And something which is, which is fairly rare amongst the kings of Israel and Judah was they assassinated him. And they took Josiah, aged eight, in the year 650 BC, and they put him on the throne. And he ruled for 31 years. Ten years later, Josiah saw what was going on around him. One imagines that he had been trained, that he had people around him who were trying to show him what worship was about in a sense, whatever it was. When he got to about 18, Josiah took a look around him and realized that things weren't quite what they should be. So he gave an instruction to a fellow called Hilkiah, who was a priest in a, in a building that wasn't much used anymore. It was called the temple. And he said to Hilkiah, get money together and do a spring clean. Clean up this place. Let's see what we got here, which he did. So he cleaned up, and while they were cleaning up, a workman was uh, cleaning out a storeroom. And in a dark corner of the storeroom, he found a scroll, which he couldn't read because he was a workman. So he went to Hilkiah, the priest, and said, I found this. Hilkiah must have just opened it, saw the first few words, closed it again, and took it to Shapam, the king's secretary. He said, I think the king needs to read this. So that's what happened. The king was read the first part of the scroll. 
and his response was quite dramatic. He burst into floods of tears. He wept, he mourned, he cried aloud, and in true Jewish tradition, he ripped his robes. He tore his robes in agony, in grief, and pain, and all the rest of it. It all just came upon him in that reading of the scroll, how far the people of Judah had moved away from the one true God. So what he did was he took the scroll, we told uh, Hilkiah to take the scroll to a woman who lived in Jerusalem. Now this is where I'm going to introduce three other people. A person who grew up at the same time as Josiah and was possibly even know, they probably even knew each other as boys playing together because he had royal connections. His name was Jeremiah. And he was a prophet, about the same age as Josiah, as I said. Jeremiah had a, a cousin called Huldah, H-U-L-D-A-H. She only appears once in the scriptures. But her one appearance in scriptures is a very dramatic one. And she is remembered by the Jewish rabbis and the Jewish writings as one of the seven prophetesses of Judaism. The scroll was taken to Hilda. Oh, I left out one, one other. There was another friend of Jeremiah's. His name was Zephaniah. You've read, you can read his book as well in the Old Testament. So there's Jeremiah, Zephaniah, the two prophets, and there's Hilda. So the king orders that the scroll is taken to Hilda. We don't know if Hilda even opened the scroll. She took it and she just said, say to the king of Israel, because my people have forsaken me, because they've turned their backs on me, because they've gone off and done what they want to do, I am going to destroy them, completely obliterate them. I'm going to wipe them out. What a message to take back to the king. And then she said, but, message for Josiah. Because you have showed humility and repentance, you are going to die in peace. Exit Holder. Well, not quite. But what happened was fascinating. The spirit seemed to move over Jerusalem. Josiah got himself so involved with that scroll, which was the scroll of the law, probably Deuteronomy, part of Deuteronomy, part of the Torah, the law, and he discovered what the covenant was between the people and God. He discovered his role as king and how he was to lead them as the intermediary between himself and God, and he, he worshipped. And we see all through the story of Josiah. Josiah is there worshipping God and encouraging the people to worship. Meanwhile, Jeremiah is out in the streets of Jerusalem telling people, repent, repent, repent. He's bringing them that, that word from God, repent. Out in the streets, he's talking. And according to old Jewish tradition, and I tend to believe a lot of the Jewish tradition, Hilder was meeting with the women and was teaching women 
their role in the covenant. Another big thing that uh, Josiah did was he brought back the Passover. Now the Passover is central to the Jewish faith. And yet it had gone. Manasseh had just let it go. So it came back. The covenant came back and the Passover came back. When I thought about this, I thought, amazing how God has raised up people at the right place at the right time. Josiah is leading worship. Worship of God is important. Jeremiah is out there in the streets meeting. Who meets in the streets on street corners? The men do. He's meeting with the men. He's telling them what all this means. And they are returning to God. Hulda is meeting with women. And when women get meeting, men, we're in trouble. Because the women get out there and they get things done. And for 20 years, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Hulda, and Josiah the king, brought about this incredible, and it was an incredible renewal, a revival to the people of God in Judah. 20 years. Covenant restored. Temple restored. Passover celebrated. And the people knew peace. They knew shalom for the 20 years. For the 20 remaining years of Josiah's life. And then a most, excuse me, a most unfortunate thing happened. Down in Egypt, there was an emperor or a pharaoh called Necho. And Necho's spies told him that the Babylonians or the Assyrians were very weak. They were in a very weak position. So Necho got into his head the idea that if he went over and beat up the Babylonians, he could extend his territory right across the Middle East. Now, those of you who remember the troubles of Abraham around the Fertile Crescent, remember that? Necho wanted to do that in reverse. He wanted to come across the Red Sea up through what we now call Gaza. This is the trade route. Right the way up the side, over the top, Lebanon, Syria, and down to Babylon. So he sent a message to Josiah. And he said, I have no bone to pick with you. In fact, you and I are mates. We're okay with each other. We're fine. Well, what I'd like to ask is your permission to come through your land, up the side, up past where Gaza is now, up over the top and around to hit the Babylonians. Please, can I come through your land? And for a reason which even the scriptures can't find, Josiah said, no. And one wonders, did he actually go to God and say, what do you want here? Because what next happened was that Necho said, okay, fine, well, I'm going anyway. And he started his march out of Egypt, and he marched up the eastern side of the Mediterranean, up through what we know as Gaza, and when he got halfway up, he arrived at Megiddo, 
Armageddon, and there he met the forces of Josiah and the soldiers of Judah. And Necho treated it as a friendly warm-up match and annihilated the army of Judah. Josiah, who'd been promised that he would die in peace, was covered in arrows, and they took him in a chariot back to Jerusalem, where he died. Four years later, only four years later, the Babylonians, who weren't as weak as Necho thought, came over the top, down through Israel, down into Egypt. They took over everything. They destroyed Jerusalem. They killed, stripped everything, and took the people of Judah into exile in Babylon. Hilda's prophecy was fulfilled. Four years after Josiah's death. Now I wonder when I link that with uh, the church in Laodicea, was it because after 20 years the people of Judah were saying, this is how it should be. We're good now. We're in a good place now. Everything's ticking over nicely. We're going to the Jerusalem every year and we're saying we're celebrating the Passover and we're doing the right things and we're making the right sacrifices and all is well. They were comfortable. They'd had this tremendous revival and then everything had settled down. I believe that Jesus, God, the Father, had broken into the life of Judah and had brought about an amazing change, an amazing renewal. Just as happened here in South Africa, we had renewal. We're on fire. We were growing. And everybody was saying, this is fantastic. And we stayed there. And it brings me to a question that um, often comes up in my mind. I suppose really it's something that Pete Houston uh, often used to say to you. So what? So what? Are we in a comfortable place? Are we in a comfortable place where we're saying, thank you for bringing us to this place? Or are we saying, do we need to be moving on? Do we need to be hearing what God is saying to us? Are we saying, where is the Josiah? Where is the Jeremiah? Where's the Zephaniah? Where's the Hilda? Where is the one who is bringing us the voice to take us out of a place of comfort into a place where we are doing what God wants us to do? I apologize to you, Chris, because I had to rebuke one of your congregation this morning. She came to the 7 o'clock service and she said... I must go now. I've done my duty. No, no. I told her, your duty starts as you go out that way, not when you sit in here. Here you come to hear the message and you're told, get out there and go and do what God is telling you to do. Are we in a maintenance life, lifestyle? Or are we in mission? You know, it's so easy to see ourselves in maintenance and we tick over and we tick over 
It's not what God wants. It is not what God wants. And that's why we say at Advent time, Jesus is coming again. Are we ready for him? What is the church he's going to find when he comes back? Are we people who will recognize him when, when he comes? Are we going to meet the challenge when he comes? Are we going to be in a place where we say, yes, Lord. The blind are receiving their sight. The deaf are receiving their, their hearing again. The hungry are being fed. The thirsty are being given water. Yes, Lord, we are fulfilling what you want us to do. Just as Josiah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Huldah were teaching the people of Judah how to live in the way of the Lord, so we too should be in that place. And, and, and I can say that because 709 years ago, that all happened. 2000, uh, I mean before, sorry, before Christ, 700 years before Christ, that happened. 2,000 years ago in Laodicea, same thing happened. Are we in that place on the Dolphin Coast? One day will there be a letter to the Dolphin Coast. You're neither hot nor cold, and I'm going to spit you out. Are we listening to the words? So as we prepare this Advent to celebrate Jesus coming back in here again, may I remind you, he has come. He is here. He's with us always. But when he comes again in triumph, we need to be ready. Not to sit back and say, we've arrived. Father God, I thank you this morning for your love for us. A love which comes and speaks directly to us. I pray, Father God, that you would open our ears to the voice of the Jeremiah, the voice of the Zephaniah, the voice of Holder, particularly the leadership of Josiah, that we may come to know you, worship you, follow your way in the way that you ask of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have two symbols here that I'm going to hang on the tree. The one is a crown. It's to remind us, first of all, that Jesus is king. But it's to remind us, too, when we look at it, of King Josiah. The second is a heart. It's a reminder that God knows your heart. God knows your heart. What are you going to do for him in obedience to his will today and in the days to come?